Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Taking a break from the show, you know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango. Thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Thank you for tuning in this week. I am going to be covering a topic that's been on my mind quite a bit over the last uh, week or so. And it is the topic of leverage and how leverage is the secret to becoming wealthy. I'm going to cover three areas of leverage, personal leverage, investment leverage, and then business leverage. Hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for the support over the last few weeks. Really, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you are finding opportunities, finding areas of your life that you're happy about and you know, given the, the circumstances are, are doing awesome. So I, I really wish that upon you. So some of you who are watching on uh, YouTube, I have this new shirt, Be Infinite. It is by my friend, Ken McElroy. So if you guys uh, like the shirt, like the design, it's a great conversation starter, then uh, go to his website, kenmcelroy.com. And you can also get a link that is in the resources section of the website, thewellstandard.com. And, uh, and pick up your own shirt. Let's kind of get into it. So first, you know, I'm going to riff quite a bit here. I have a couple bullet points. So that's really it. As I've had a lot of time, I take a walk every day, typically around midday, just around the city because there's nobody here. I walk with my wife at night. And it's allowed me to think differently and, and think about some things that I don't know if I would have otherwise had them cross my mind. So the first thing is, 
And a lot of it's because of podcasts, it's because of books. You know, there's lots of stuff that I'm just trying to consume that, that inspire me and help me, you know, make progress in my life. The thing is, I look at the life that most people live, and then I compare it to the billionaires of the world, whether it's uh, Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. 90% of the life they live is the same life we live. Let me explain that. They don't get like special movies or special music or special average entertainment. They watch the same movies. They listen to the the same music. They have the same web browser. uh, They have the same relatively inexpensive software at their disposal. And so oftentimes we put ourselves really outside of the realm of that caliber of person. uh, And especially as it's measured in dollars and wealth and financial wealth, economic wealth. And we think our lives are different and they're really not. I look at you know, an example I heard recently where, you know, a wealthy person can drive a Ferrari or, you know, a Bugatti. At the same time, they're impractical. It's impractical transportation. Really, all that it is, it's a signal of a person's or it's a representation of a person's wealth that they want to wear on their sleeve. And I look at just the average car, Ford F-150 or a Toyota or a, a Honda Pilot, the actual technology and the comfort and the economy of it, right, is superior if you really think about it from a practical standpoint to someone who's really wealthy. So in the end, I often think about what do I really want? What lifestyle do I want to live? What would make me really happy? And then I kind of connected to from a financial standpoint, I think those that do not have wealth, those that do not have money, it's very difficult to find happiness, even though it's not impossible. So I believe wealth, financial wealth is a big piece of it. From there on, it's, it's how much and why. And that's where it really comes down to a definition of what type of lifestyle you want to live. I've recognized in my life, and I'm not different than anybody else, that what I what I really, really want is I want to have a feeling of financial wealth to the point where I don't worry about money. And I also pursue having energy, being fit, being able to not have to worry about my body or feel something that detracts from a physical experience. Also, relationships and family. My children, my wife, my brothers, my parents, my friends, those relationships bring me you know, tremendous uh, happiness and, and fulfillment when I focus on and have the distractions of money and the distractions of pain or the lack of energy taken away you know, if they're gone. I kind of got to that point. And so as I look at you know, the audience that listens to this podcast and I've thought through what would be most valuable to you, that's where I broke down how to obtain leverage in your life to achieve financial wealth in hopes that you too start to have the distractions associated what really gives life meaning removed. So let me get into it. So personal leverage. You know, I've brought up on the show before and he's been a guest, uh, Craig Ballantyne, and he has one of the most simple things to follow when it comes to organization. One thing I see with working with clients and talking with people is there is a significant amount of disorganization, whether it's financial things, budget, income, and and expenses, but also just how a person structures their day, their week, their month, their year, overall, their life. There's a very like day-by-day mentality. And I believe that there are some things in your life that you can systematize. And what that does is it allows you to retain the energy, retain the time to be spent in the areas that make the biggest difference. And so I think a big piece of personal leverage is to have your life organized. And what I mean by that 
is to streamline, systematize what you repetitively do. And you know, Craig Ballantyne, as I mentioned, uh, the perfect day formula. Uh, I have links on the resource section of the website, thewellstandard.com, where you can check out his program, read his book. It's in, insanely inexpensive, especially relative to what it gives you. But having a structure for your day where you understand the priority, you understand what's to be accomplished. When that is done, you don't have to spend energy, you know, anticipating or energy trying to figure things out. It's done for you. And you set up days in a certain way where you're organized and that organization becomes a structure in order for you to become more creative. Uh, and that's a big piece of what I see as personal leverage is being able to be in a creative space. Craig calls it magic time, but being able to be in the most creative space, because that is where all the money, uh, all the wealth is usually created. It's not created in the monotony. Monotony is something that human nature tries to systematize through technology, innovation, and that's what we see all around us as far as the life we get to partake in and what I explained in the beginning as our lives not being much different than the life of a billionaire because of the technologies we are all able to enjoy regardless of, of status. And obviously, there's certain financial things, but the difference between someone that you know makes $100,000 a year and someone that makes $100 million a year, that's what I'm referring to is what we partake of maybe at a lower level right, is oddly similar to what the billionaire is able to enjoy. Uh, they may be able to have a maybe an, a nicer home, right? Some don't. Some have just average homes. Warren Buffett just has an average home, average car, right? They may travel a little bit different, but for the most part, ninety percent of what we have access to is what they. Ha- it's the exact same thing they have access to. So it's really really interesting to think about it from that standpoint. What I'm referring to is, you know, as you start to remove the monotony from your life, remove the systems from your life, it puts you in this creative zone. Uh, And I believe all people are unique. All people have gifts, unique gifts. They have something to bring to the world, but most people never discover it. And so I look at the level to get to when it comes to having your life organized, having some of your financial matters organized, really to get to the next level is leveraging those systems, leveraging the monotony, leveraging the repetitiveness of your life, systematizing that so that you can have more time, energy, and focus on the creative areas of life. Uh, and those creative areas, I'll get to those toward when I get into the business side of, of how to have leverage, both as someone who runs a business, but also someone that is a part of, uh, of a business. So hopefully that makes sense for you guys. A few more things here in regards to the personal side of things. Being strategic and being intentional about what you're using social media for. I specifically do not use social media for social things. I use social media as a massive brainstorming mastermind group. I use it to be inspired. I use it to get ideas. I use it to see what people are reading, what they're listening to. Uh, I use it for business purposes as well. You can strategically design it for that purpose. However, the lack of strategy is again, that monotony, it's the chaos and it takes a lot of time and energy away from you. Structuring social media is, is huge. I would also say taking advantage of the different software and different apps that are out there. People are using apps right now more for entertainment, not for productivity. But I look at productivity, there's so many different ways in which you can you know, use technology to ensure that your day is structured, ensure that you are anticipating or prepared the day before so that you optimize every single day, which will stack and stack and stack and allow you way more time to be creative. And from that creativity, you're going to discover opportunities. All right. So let me get into... All right, maybe a couple more things. So personal leverage, 
I think relates to the direction our society is going when it comes to work. I, my team, pretty much other than me, I come into this massive 20,000 square foot office and nobody is here but one person. And my lease ends next year and we're definitely changing. I think there has been so much efficiency created in being able to operate remotely. Now, it wasn't just, we had a lot of the systems already. It was slightly different. At the same time, we've been able to cut expenses. We have a lot more productivity and we have a lot more happiness by the team. And so where I'm going next year is going to be different than what I had anticipated. And I believe a lot of the world is going in that direction. You know, in the Wall Street Journal, there was a uh, headline that said that Google is essentially having their team, their employees work remotely until next summer, summer of 2021. So I know it's working for a lot of people. It may not be working for the company or business that you're a part of, but what this does is it presents opportunity. I think from a leverage standpoint, when you look at a profession and from your ability to, not ability, but how you're earning income right now, what you're doing, what your training is, your specialties, your skill set, your degrees, et cetera, your experience, there are remote jobs. There are remote positions that allow you to live in an area. If you don't live in an area that you love, I love Utah. I grew up on the East Coast. I like the East Coast. I'm missing it right now because it's the summer on Cape Cod where my parents live and you know, I know it's amazingly beautiful there, but it's amazingly beautiful in the mountains, the hiking. Last night, I just like just sat there on my porch. I'm like, man, this is such a beautiful, such a beautiful place. If you don't live in a place that you think is beautiful, that's one thing. It's your environment has an oddly interesting influence on your level of happiness and fulfillment, uh, which is what, again, what I'm pointing toward is, is how to get there quicker. And so right now it's leveraging that skill set to be able to work in an area, an environment that is conducive to what you want. And if you're working remote and have that position, it doesn't mean that you have to just pick a place and risk it and, and move there. You can try places out. Leveraging what's going on in the environment as far as professions are concerned, the workplace is concerned, and where businesses are going, and be able to operate your life, your income, your profession. Okay, from the place that you enjoy the most. Okay, so that's another huge opportunity. Just in general, which I dedicated a whole season to a couple of years ago, but it is the idea of doing something that you like doing. If you're working to, you know, to just earn money and earn a paycheck, I believe that that drains energy and the output that you're getting, which is your paycheck, is there's a significant amount of input that goes into that. I look at the output from something that you love doing and enjoy doing and know that you're making a difference. <laughs> the input is much less than it's something that you do not like doing. So pay attention to that input and output and what is going in, not just time, but also energy, happiness, fulfillment, what goes into to your profession and then what you get out of it. And I believe that there are professions. I mean, think about it. What are some of the crazy professions that exist uh, today? You can be a, a YouTuber, right? Or a social media influencer. Nobody thought that, that would be a business. You also have video game people, professional video game leagues where people are on salary. It's looking at really all the different professions, all the jobs that exist out there. I believe that there's something that aligns with you know who you are and what you like doing, as well as allows you to operate remotely so that you can be and live in a, a location that is uh, conducive to an ideal lifestyle. Okay. All right. Let's get to uh, investment, investment leverage. Cause I think this is big. I look at our world. And for those of you who went in really 
deep dove into the Richard Duncan interviews and and tried to understand Ray Dalio's how the the economic machine works, are starting to see the you know how important debt is to our society. The expansion of debt is how we grow. The contraction of debt is is how we go into a recession. Uh, how asset prices go down. Right now, we can argue the morality and the principles of what is and what should be. At the same time, what is, we're a debt-based system. And how we purchase assets and how we use leverage to do that is vital. So I'll discuss both leverage from financing standpoint, and then I'll talk about leverage when it comes to employing other professionals with your money. They all operate and you don't have to do much for money to grow. So the first thing is uh, real estate. I think there is this belief out there that is perpetuated by some of the financial celebrities of getting out of debt. And I believe that you know your lifestyle from a debt standpoint should not be leveraged. I believe that lifestyle is something that you know doesn't produce additional cash flow, okay? But uh, there are certain assets that do. And if there are assets that produce cash flow, this is when financial leverage helps to increase cash flow, but decrease output, uh, input, your input specifically. So what I mean by that is you can buy uh, an investment property, a rental property. There's always times to do it. Right now, you have to be very particular, very choosy. But going in and buying a property in cash, there isn't a tremendous amount of leverage. There's no financial leverage there. When you provide financial leverage, let's say it's a $100,000 property and you have $100,000 in cash. Putting $100,000 and buying one property and let's say your net rental income is $500. Doing that, right, you essentially have a $6,000 net return every single year, 6% return cash flow, or you can incorporate bank leverage. That's what's interesting is that banks, they don't lend on many uh, assets, but they do lend on real estate assets. So if you bought a rental property for $100,000 and you have $100,000 in cash and you chose to get a $50,000 mortgage, $50,000 mortgage, maybe you know a couple hundred dollars in payments, but you're able to obtain two properties with $100,000 in cash that you have, right? So that's the thing is when you use that leverage, now what you do is you double the asset value, okay? You also increase cash flow beyond what that 500 bucks is, more now after you factor in the, the mortgage payments. But what you also do is you align your investment choice with where the economy is going and how monetary policy impacts prices of assets. Because when you look at debt, right, as the Federal Reserve central banks increase, increase debt, increase the amount of leverage that's in society, it's going to push all prices up. That's known as uh, inflation. And so when you have a $50,000 mortgage, the value, the purchasing power of $50,000 today it is not going to be the same in the future if that is the trend as far as where the government is going. And so the $50,000, obviously you'd pay that down in payments, but also the value of that $50,000 will be two, three, 4% less because of inflation. Additionally, the asset of, uh, of a piece of real estate will go up in value. I did a course, a little mini course a few years ago about real estate investment. And so I'll I'll make sure that I post a a link so you guys can access that uh, in the show notes. But what it does is it explains and it actually shows the financial numbers and details of buying a a house in cash and then buying a house with leverage. So you can kind of see the difference and see how it plays out over the course of time. All right. So that's, that's financial leverage. But at the same time, when it comes to investments, 
Hey, I've owned lots of rental properties in over the last 15, 16 years. And, you know, I've been a landlord, had my, my wife be a landlord. Uh, we've had property management, which means you have to be kind of a, a manager of the manager. And then there comes, I would say, the ability to employ those that have a, a syndication, those that are professionals, have history, and essentially aggregate capital and go into much bigger deals. So Ken McElroy is someone that I've you know made quite a bit of investment in. He's the one I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast as far as the shirt that I'm wearing. But Kenny has a company called MC Companies, and they have tens of thousands of units around the country. And in order to get into those big apartment complexes, which are several tens of millions of dollars, they aggregate investor capital. So by investing in those type of projects, I'm not a landlord. Okay, I don't have to worry about the property management. I don't have to worry about the tenants. And I'm able to leverage the experience of someone that is way more knowledgeable of markets, someone that's more knowledgeable about values. And that has played out really well for me. Now, there are a lot of people that syndicate, that raise money, uh, that do not have a good reputation or the experience. So sometimes you know, it does go sideways. And so that's where the importance of due diligence, the importance of uh, you know, understanding the person who is putting deals like that together is paramount. And that's a big responsibility on your part. At the same time, the effort that you put into that, and as you start to understand you know, the variables that make or break a business, that will allow you to make one decision. And then you don't have to essentially make decisions again, other than maybe do this deal or not do that deal. All of the backend work is taken care of. So that's what another example of financial leverage. Now, I'm going to summarize personal leverage and financial leverage. Leverage, the definition is doing more with the same or doing more with less. Okay. So you're able to have more progress and have a kind of a multi dimensional aspect to the decisions that you make. And the importance of doing that is you're able to employ the minds, the efforts, the experience of other people. And as I talked about, in last week's podcast about leadership, okay, leadership gets into the business side of things, which is where we're going next. So from a business standpoint, I've made a ton of errors in business, more than I've ever you know, admitted on the podcast. I've admitted a lot. I've admitted a lot in the book that I wrote. Some of them are micro, tiny errors. I've made some big, big errors, judgment in people, hiring the wrong people, holding on to, to people, as I said, tolerating behavior and not wanting to confront difficult situations. And it's taught me some valuable lessons. It was a lot of pain. It was difficult in the moment. At the same time, it taught me, here's what happened. Here's why it was so painful. And this is how to avoid that in the future and do something better, right? So I look at leadership principles, the creation of culture, uh, being a part of a company or being a part of something that makes a difference, as well as mission-driven. The honesty and the integrity and the ethical factor is also vitally important. When you see that compromised, then that is something to totally steer away from the head of a company, whether that's a boss. Okay, you really want to pay attention to their principles. And when you start to see unprincipled behavior in one aspect of their life, chances are it's happening in the business, even though there may be some masking there. So I look at the company you choose and the business you choose to be a part of and really understanding their values, their principles, and if those align with yours, with your principles, with your values, that's vital in order to have a healthy relationship. And what that does is it, it saves energy, right? It conserves energy, allows energy to be focused in best areas because 
if something's going to happen to the company in the future and you've spent all this time, all this effort there and it goes sideways based off of something that's out of your control, now you got to go start over, right? So it's really understanding that right now so that you have kind of a, a better uh, perspective of how things are going to be in the future. Okay, but going back to the leadership idea, right? Leadership is being able to operate as a team, a unit in order to achieve a certain end. Individual effort is one dimensional. There's only one mind involved. But when you have two minds, you essentially have a third person, third kind of entity, if you will. You have one person, two person, and then the combination of two people into the collaboration exchange of ideas. And so being able to lead, to operate in a team is something that we're not taught, as I mentioned last week. This is not something that schools teach. And it's something that I believe is necessary. Business world, uh, whether you're in management, whether you uh, own, or or whether you're just kind of an entry-level employee. It's being able to hone in on the skills of what good leadership is and start to lead people, support them, inspire them, do good to them, praise their work. I mean, there's a number of ways to do it, but I believe that's a a huge aspect of business. But in business, I'll go back to what I explained from a personal standpoint. In business, there are so many things that are not systematized. They're monotonous. They're repetitive. And when employee time, if you're especially if you're a business owner, if employee time is spent there, when either technology or a system or SOP, standard of operations or standard operating procedures, if those what those do is it creates uniformity on the things that are mundane. So it allows employees and it allows people to operate in a more creative zone. So it's the establishment of systems in business that really allow leverage. I would say technology in business is also paramount. I see far too often people operating their finances, operating their customers and leads on spreadsheets. And there's so much waste and so much inefficiency with the energy that's spent there. And so the reason why I'm explaining this is if you're a business owner, right, establishing good business systems, good business rhythm, good meeting rhythm, what that allows you to do is systematize the predictable. And what that does is it frees up energy, frees up time so that employees, you can operate in a zone of creativity, which creates even more ideas and it aligns those ideas with what is even more valuable to customers and clients and provides them more value, which ultimately grows revenue, grows the business, et cetera. Leverage in business too, I see as really understanding individual strengths within a team, within a unit, and not having the same person in each of the roles on, on the team. It's having different personalities, complementary roles based on whether it's a personality, based on skill set, based on experience natural abilities. That's also vital. And so I look at a business owner and their responsibility to always obtain leverage, which is doing more with the same or doing more with less. But also I would put the success of uh, an employee, and that might be you, you might be either role, on the ability to identify points of leverage. When you're able to identify ways in which something can be streamlined, when you're able to identify how to do more with the same or do more with less, What that does is it starts to present opportunities. Now, you may be saying, if I do that, they're going to think I'm trying to take their job or they think I'm trying. I think if that type of, those type of relationships or feelings exist in the business place, that's a business that I would say does not align with principles and values of a successful business. And so that uh, puts that in question. But really getting into bringing a good amount of energy, ideas, creativity to a business, that's where I'll go back to the personal leverage. As you're able to systematize your day, 
I look at people not being able to operate at full capacity for eight hours a day. I would estimate, and I know there's studies that have been done here where energy of and focus and commitment is maybe four or five hours a day at, at the most. And so that's where I look at being able to have personal leverage so that you have a structured and organized routine in your life so that you can have more energy, more creativity zone. Being able to bring that to a business allows you to make a difference. And as you make a difference, you get more money, and both as a business owner and as a person that's part of a business. The two are connected. The same principles of success apply. And that really comes to just life in general. I think leverage, the opportunities for leverage are everywhere. And so if you can have that word at the top of your mind and have it as a a lens that you slip over your eyes so that you can view your life, you can view where you are, you can view your business or the business that you operate in and find leverage, find the ability to do more with the same or do more with less, I guarantee that those are the principles that are going to make you more money and put you in the position of achieving wealth and living an even more fulfilling life. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys learned something. Go out and create some value. Go out and find some leverage. Go head over to the wealthstandard.com, the wealthstandard.com show notes, because there are some links based on what I've discussed today. There's also our resources section that is stock full of businesses and services and programs that I've followed to create leverage in my life. And I know that it would make a difference in yours. So hope you find those resources valuable. Guys, thanks so much again. Thanks for the support. Go uh, head over to iTunes if you uh, feel compelled to provide a, a review. That always helps. Thanks again, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh.